0: Welcome to Business School. My name is Stephen Cool. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Burrow,
1: a direct-to-consumer furniture brand. My name is Phineas Ellis. I'm the co-founder of Stereotype Studio, a podcast production company. This is a show where we explore the many glamorous and scandalous aspects of consumer startup culture. Super
0: excited to have Song Naran on today, co-founder and CEO of Squire Technologies. Um, As a refresher for listeners, uh, we had his co-founder, Dave Sylvain, on earlier this year, actually as our first guest on the show. But Song, you and Dave were in our YC batch back in 2016 in our small group, um, which is why we actually know each other fairly well, as opposed to other people in our batch who we may not have even ever talked to. But
2: um, (laughs) thanks for coming on the show. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Of
0: course. So high level stuff what we want to talk about is fundraising. Fundraising is, is perpetually a fascinating topic. I think to a lot of people, it seems to be, it either works really well and people can raise a lot of money or it's just always a struggle for a long time. Um, but even folks who it seems to be easy for now, it wasn't always easy. Things just change the business and it becomes easier. But to jump right into it, you've now closed two monster rounds. In 2020 take us through run us through like the basic details and stats and like tell us what that process was like
2: yeah so we we were some of those people that as you said uh wasn't always easy oh it's not easy now but it definitely was a lot uh, more challenging early on so we we never raised like uh prior to our a any money from institutionals We, we didn't raise a big seed round after yc and uh, we were in a state of kind of perpetually raising little checks as we needed them to get to the next uh, stage of the business. Um, so we kind of experienced, you know, some really tough fundraising environments, and then more recently, uh, some more favorable uh, environments for us. So we, we, I can kind of speak to, you know, both sides of the spectrum. Um, but for this last raise, um, we were fortunate enough to close on our Series B Uh, led by CRV in March, 2020, right before the pandemic hit. Um, So that was just kind of fortuitous timing. Um, And uh, it put us in a pretty good position where we weren't kind of freaking out with a lot of other companies where we knew that our numbers were gonna go down because our customers were closed um, uh, due to the shutdown. But we had the resources to really focus on helping them, being a, re, being a resource to them, uh, providing them with features to, to help them while they were shut down. And as the shops started reopening, really late April, mostly May and then going into June, we saw a big influx of new customers and our numbers kind of really started to take off, which we didn't know what the impact of the of COVID was going to be for our business going into it. But there ended up being some, some factors that ended up accelerating our business. Uh, which which was good for us. And then, um throughout the uh, the summer months of the pandemic, we saw a big increase. Our uh, numbers are going up. New customers were you know probably fourxed uh, in terms of the amount of new customers we were getting per month prior to prior to covid and uh, and then coming out of it. And with that uh, momentum, we started getting some more interest uh, from, from some investors. and we kind of opportunistically decided to raise the seed while while the interest was there. Knowing that there was a lot of uncertainty for the rest of the year and going into twenty twenty one, like who knows how much longer this is going to last? So our logic was, hey, if the interest is there, the terms are good. Uh, let's raise it now and then go into next year with a loaded clip of ammunition, and and
1: that's you know that's what we did. <laughs> <laughs> so can you walk us through the amount? I mean, obviously it's been circulating, but. What was the amount of the last raise and what was the structure of that deal?
2: Yeah, um, it was structured for a kind of typical venture round led by uh, Iconic Ventures. And it was $46 uh, million equity round. And then we did another $15 million million debt round on top of that. So Iconic led, and then uh, we had some of our previous investors um, who also, you know, contributed like Tiger Global, CRV, Trinity, uh, 645 Ventures, and that pretty much, you know, filled out the round. And then, you know, we, we also uh, got a few, um, you know, celebrity investors in this round as well. Trevor Noah, Steph Curry, Pharrell Williams, Quincy Jones, I think that's it, because I'm forgetting anyone. And so, you know, that, that, that was pretty cool as well
0: now are they they're just investors or are they going to do do anything with the business you know
2: i think i think from what i understand um they like to get involved um so we haven't really reached out yet um because you know everything's been so busy this year with covid and, and whatnot but i i think that we're gonna you know hopefully be able to get involved with them you know at some point in the future
0: i've noticed trevor noah's hair has gotten longer during. yeah COVID. it has
2: I think so, that could be a cool. We could do some cool content around that. <laughs> He's got a great <laughs> Afro. <now. laughs>
1: so before before I forget, um, you did mention that you added a tremendous amount of customers, sort of after the initial shutdown. And then it you had had a huge spike. Why did that happen? Who were those customers? Right? Because in my mind, most barbershops are still either semi-open or you know not. A, what kind of customers were you adding? barbershops just reopening and realizing that they wanted sort of a more tech enabled operation what was the reasoning behind that big jump
2: yeah i think so i think that was was part of it and a lot of states in order for them to reopen they had to follow certain guidelines and a lot of those guidelines required that uh they no longer had a waiting room that they had to control the amount of people uh in the shop at one time encourage you know contactless payment so we we a lot of those features we already had, and some we built specifically, you know, for this environment uh, to to help them reopening. So I think that definitely helped. And there were I'm sure some shops who were previously pen and paper and probably had no software who now are like, oh wow, okay, I need this, and kind of that interest increased the number of shops we were getting as well. Um, and I think that also just the way we positioned ourselves during this time is really being like for our customers, for the barbershop industry, really not focusing on trying to like sell to them, but really trying to focus on just providing value and giving. Um, we actually waived all of our subscription fees for the year. Um, I think that definitely helped. You know, the reason for that was cause we didn't want them to have more overhead, particularly while they were closed. And then even as they're reopening to your point, many aren't back at full capacity even now. So we thought it was the right thing to do. And uh, all of that together, I think kind of a- added to the momentum and, and interest.
1: I think uh, one thing that's sometimes hard to relate to when we listen to stories like this is like, all right, so you just raised eighty-five million dollars. Why, why so much? And what are you going to spend the money on? And like, you know, why, why does a business even need to raise that much money right now? And then, what's the plan for spending it into the new year?
2: Yeah, for most of Squire's history,
1: like I said before, we've never had
2: enough cash in our bank account to not focus on fundraising. So we've kind of, we've been fundraising since like 2015 <laughs> Just not not as successful mm-hmm. until now. And once we raised the A and then the B, we, we kind of realized that there's a tremendous advantage when you have a capital to really be able to take more risks and to be more uh, aggressive and, and to not know that you're at an existential uh, risk you know every every six months where you, you could be running out of money so like we, we kind of saw like okay wow this is a different feeling and then uh in terms of fundraising but what, what, what i've learned is that uh the best time to raise is when you don't need it so so when presented with with interest you know inbound interest you know mind you we weren't we didn't go out and raise like a round where we pitched a bunch of investors but there was inbound interest, interest from multiple top tier vcs and when you have inbound interest from multiple VCs, you can negotiate good terms. Um, so if the terms are good and the interest is there and you don't need the money, like that's like kind of like the opportune time to raise kind of like opportunistically. And um, there's no doubt about it, like a company that is, you know, is well-financed with a healthy balance sheet, all things being equal, has advantage relative to a company that does not have that. Um, so we, we we really think that this industry that we're going after, like there's going to be uh, kind of, there's going to be an industry leader, one, maybe two companies that, you know, at most, I think are really going to kind of define this in- industry and, and be the dominant force and like we want to ensure that that squire. Uh, so having a, a, a extra capital uh, you know, relative to our competitors and really being able to out, uh, you know, maneuver them uh, something that we really, you know, wanna do. So like I said before, we're going into next year, you know, with just a lot of, you know, wind behind our back and advantages and resources and that's a good position to be in.
0: I remember uh, Philip Krim was telling me you want to get opportunistic balance sheet capital, mm-hmm. which is exactly what you're talking about. And it's like a very fluffy term for like a war chest exactly. To be able to to go out and build as fast as possible. Yep. Even if you don't know exactly what you're gonna spend it on you'll figure out ways and it's just more cushion and it removes some of that stress and pressure of like needing to stay scrappy. Because, and, and I will say like for us, we were in the same boat as you guys early on, like raising a couple hundred thousand dollars a month on safe notes from whoever would write a <laughs> check, right? <laughs> yeah. And it's just like, hey, <laughs> it's, I it was like, it was like, harkening back to my, I, I worked in selling insurance one summer in, uh, in college and it was like on every call, you'd be like, "Hey, by the way, before we wrap, like, can you introduce me to three people that you think are like <laughs> talking to me?" And I was like, doing that and like fundraising. You're like, "Oh, you're gonna write us a fifty thousand dollars check." Like, "Hey, do you have any friends that also would be interested in investing in a fast growing startup?" Like, <laughs> 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 and I'm like, "Oh my god, I can't uh-huh. believe it. I said I didn't want to sell insurance. I'm just selling something else now." No. So you guys also you brought on some debt. Is that just traditional? venture debt to get capital in without adding more dilution, or is that related to any of the products and services that you guys are building?
2: Yeah, it's pretty much traditional venture debt where when, when you raise a venture around and you can get the debt on the terms, but this kind of makes sense to do it. Um, you know, hoping you won't need it, but having that additional war chest, you know, we, we have some interesting new products that are gonna be much more kind of like on the financial services and fintech side the debt is not necessarily for that but i think it, it's it's good for us to have like an extra you know healthy balance sheet
1: what are those so let's talk about that dave mentioned it briefly as you guys were thinking about it in the future on the last episode but the financial services piece this sounds like a pretty big opportunity a pretty big new potential component of the business banking services for barbershops effectively What's the need there? Why'd you guys decide to to push into that space?
2: Yeah, so our customers are just very underserved uh, typically by banks, um, by finance financial institutions. They're coming from what has historically been primarily cash-based business. They're reporting has been questionable in terms of reporting their revenue. And and as a result, that has has left them oftentimes with fewer options. Um it's hard for them to get a mortgage, it's hard for them to to. You know, prove show their income. So we're trying to really move them out of that because we think that these people are professionals and and you know deserve the, the best options just like any other uh, profession would. Um, and many of them earn relatively high income rel- relative to to median American incomes. And and there's no reason that they shouldn't be able to you know get mortgages and you know get car loans and do all this other stuff and get uh, credit cards in good terms. So we see an opportunity to kind of expand our offering. Um, into helping them get access uh, to these types of things because we touch pretty much all of the money that goes into the shop and goes into the barbers that they're making, like is already kind of in the Square ecosystem from the original booking uh, and payment from the customer all the way to the barber getting that money deposited in, in, in his bank account or her bank account. Um, so it's kind of like a natural extension to think like, what else can we do on that?
0: And you're uniquely positioned to, like you just said, you see all the cash flow anyway. So instead of, if they were to get a loan from a bank, they have to present all this information and data and prove that the cash flow is coming. Versus, you're like, we know it. Like we we've been working with you already. We see all the data. Exactly. Like we can, you can almost get like predictive of exactly how much they do need and should need or whatever, which also then helps them on the personal side too. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Exactly.
1: So I read in the TechCrunch piece, you're gonna the plan for the for the future is hire a bunch of sales and marketing. And then potentially use some of that venture debt to go into the the financing bit. You guys have a team of about a hundred people, right, spread across New York City and Buffalo. Yeah. Is that right? And then is the plan to just expand sales and make this thing global? What's the what are you going to use the money for uh, in the next year?
2: Yeah, so we're our biggest office was, was New York and Buffalo, um, but we actually already were pretty semi distributed prior to to COVID. So all of our sales reps. Uh, we're remote and kind of spread out all all across the country. Uh, we have some of uh, our operations, you know, team in California. So we're pretty, you know, very very distributed. And then COVID hit, and then of course now everybody's working this way, uh, and everybody's working from home. So where it enables us to kind of like really focus on hiring the best talent wherever they are, um, and we're, we're gonna we're gonna continue doing that. Um, we do have a pretty big presence in in, in Buffalo. That's where our customer success uh, operations team sits, and we're gonna kind of keep hiring in that region because we we think it's good uh, for the local you know ecosystem there. And there's a lot of good talent there. But we're also gonna look to anywhere else that we that we can find people. And yeah, sales and marketing is a big component. You know, at this point, you know, when you're at this level, yeah, it's scaling, it's really it should be kind of almost like a machine. And, and that's what we've been really working on building. So like we know what the output of a sales record is and we can kind of model out like, okay, how many do we need to hire to hit these numbers? So yeah, we're gonna be growing that department as well as product, you know, engineering. You know, we are pretty sophisticated like product, you know, software company and, and we need the best engineers and the best product team as well. Can you explain why you guys had an office in Buffalo? So we applied to this uh, program called uh, 43 North, which is based in Buffalo. And it's partially funded by the by the state of New York, and it's designed to um, attract startups and innovative companies to you know regions where they typically you know, probably wouldn't uh, move to. So we we applied to that, and it's actually a competition. And you know you fly to Buffalo and you pitch uh, on stage to you know industry VCs and other insiders in front of a big audience um, of like you know hundreds of people. Uh, so it was actually pretty cool. We flew there, participated in that. We came in second place. Um, we still think we should have came in first place, but we came in second place, and the second place award was six hundred and fifty thousand uh, dollars, which is you know very significant. And at that time, it was you know extremely significant because here, we uh, had we not won that competition, we probably would have ran out of money. Is <laughs> that free cash or in exchange for equity? Not free cash. It, it was a a, a good uh, a warrant on good terms, though. Okay. Not yeah, free would have been even nicer. Uh, so we, we 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 won that, and it was kind of like a hail mary. And pursuant to that, uh, you had to move to Buffalo for a year and then open an office there. uh, And they wanted you to hire employees and kind of establish yourself. So we did that, moved there. Uh, We were kind of going back and forth between New York City and Buffalo and uh, opened our office there, started hiring people. Uh, We're there for over a year. At that point, we could have left and never looked back, but we actually, kind of really liked what we were able to build there. And we found ourselves getting good employees. So we kept our office there and we continued hiring. And, you know, it's worked out It's worked out well for us so far. So
0: you never would have gone to Buffalo otherwise, but also it kind of worked, like the strategy worked, like you ended up hiring and staying there.
2: Yeah, it kind of worked as designed. No, I mean, Buffalo was not on my radar at all prior to that. And, I, you know, I think that's really the purpose of a program like that is to get people to uh, consider a place where they never would have before, and uh, yeah, I mean, and I think it shows. Which COVID is, I think, going to really expose this. Um, but we were kind of early because of because of uh, this program that there's really talented people and there's opportunities all over this country, you know, outside of New York and San Francisco. And, you know, a lot of times it's actually, there's advantages for, for companies to, to take a look at that. And I think now we're gonna see it more often than not. Like I know a lot of founders who are hiring like outside of the Valley and outside of New York and like the, there's talented people that will be less expensive. And also a lot of people don't wanna live in San Francisco. You know, like a lot of people are are, are finding themselves moving to lower cost cities. And I oh, think I'm it's one of them. gonna be, a, yeah. <laughs> Are you in, where,
0: where are you now? Are you in New York?
2: I'm in New York, but yeah, I, yeah, yeah.
0: I, I don't know. I was not a fan of SF.
2: I, 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 I wasn't a fan of, of living there, too. Like, I like to be able to get out of the tech bubble. You know, it's great, you know, when you go fundraise and, you know, you can meet exceptional people. But, like, it's nice to be able to get out of it. And in New York, I mean, in San Francisco, you're just kind of stuck in it at all times. Um, and New York, you know, there's other industries and there's people that don't know anything about tech, and that's kind of refreshing. Yeah,
0: we, we're we're doing the same thing. We're looking at hiring a lot of people outside the city. Mm-hmm. There's just a lot of functions in a company that you don't necessarily have to be in a major city for, or like
2: in a in a traditional office setting. And you can find really talented people. And and I, I don't know if the traditional office HQ kind of like I don't know if that's ever coming back i mean maybe it will i mean we'll see you know this this could all just be a blip and things will go back to normal but like i think we found how productive people can be working remotely or semi remotely and how much it works for a lot of people they're like i don't i don't know if we're ever going to go back to the big you know hundreds of people in one hq and everybody has to be there in order to work for the company like you know we'll see
1: well it'll be up to people like you guys that employ a bunch of people and are willing to let people work from home. You know, people yeah. will go work for Squire if they don't want to have to be a certain place. If I want to live in Texas and I want to work for Squire, I can live in Texas. You know, I could live in London, uh, but ultimately, I think it's going to be up to companies like you all that employ so many people. I have a quick question, kind of a niche question. Uh, when you won that competition, when you got connected to Buffalo, were you connected to the local government too, like the mayor? Or, and I would imagine, like when you when you first established I remember when I worked at Orby Parker and they were looking at opening a new office in a different city. They kind of did like a very mini version of the Amazon thing, which was like <laughs> shop around <laughs> yeah. different cities and yeah. see which ones were most appealing, yeah. right? Now that you guys have a significant presence in Buffalo, do you have a relationship with like the local municipality, and do you interact with them at all, or is that kind of separate?
2: We definitely got introduced to the mayor uh,
1: when we won, and
2: um, we've been on a couple calls with with him and his office. We don't, you know, I think that we probably could. Uh, flex, you know, that muscle there probably a little more. We don't so much because, uh, you know, I mean, there's definitely like when you're a big fish in a little pond, like you get, you get, you get more access. And we've mainly looked at it from a framework of like how can we kind of help give back, like, you know, how can we talk to like, you know, young people there who want to get an entrepreneurship and make a, make Squire like a resource in the community as opposed to just taking from
1: it. I think that's really cool. And I think I think not enough entrepreneurs early on look at opportunities like that, like grants or competitions or whatever. It's like, you know, what do whatever you could do. We talk about this on the show a lot, like there's not, well, it's not a linear path, right? It's like do whatever you can do to get money in the door to survive early on. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of options. We just talked to an entrepreneur the other day who brought on actual co-founders and gave up significant equity to open up doors into Whole Foods and, mm-hmm. and other places. Um, and now he runs the company basically by himself, right? So that's one big chip to play, but there's a lot of things to do, like a, in a competition where you, you know, six hundred and fifty grand. It's mean, significant, obviously, yeah. especially for a small company. So I think not a lot of not a, there's not enough stories like that of like look, there's a lot of resources out there. There's a lot of different ways to to bring it, and now you're on the other side. Interestingly, right? How different does that feel, right? Thinking back to the pitching on stage. Whether it's YC or the, the Buffalo competition, yeah. and now you just closed yeah. around at a $250 million valuation, different headspace.
2: It's, 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 so, it's so, it's very different. I mean, as your company kind of grows and you go through different phases, it's like four or five different companies in one. Like the, uh, the Squire, you know, 2016 or 2015, like when we were doing that, like in, in, in so many ways, it's a, a total different experience. Um, versus running, you know, Squire now, which I think is actually fascinating. It's one of the things I love about being an entrepreneur is that it forces you to constantly be evolving and learning because you can't be stagnant. And if, as long as we keep growing, if that will continue, like if we ever IPO or become a public company, or if, you know, we, like, it's just gonna be different for 100 ploys and 500 ploys is is a different experience um so that i really love that but yeah early on man we uh i think we applied to probably every single accelerator in new york we did like pretty much whatever program would accept us like when early on like you need to just be doing anything you can to tip the scales in your favor in in any way possible um like you know we got rejected by all of them you know tech crunch Era, uh, I, I can't even remember. Like all, all, all the New York accelerators um, of that time, we got rejected by all. Of, we got rejected by YC like twice, I think, uh, before we got accepted uh, to the fellowship program. And then we did the core program, you know, we've done just so many different little programs throughout our journey. And it's been great, man, you know, especially the ones that don't take equity. If they don't take equity and all it is is your time, do it, like, why not? Like you might make some connections and every one that we did, we got something out of it. I love that.
0: You just gotta do whatever it takes to stay alive for Mm -hmm. another, another day,
1: another yeah. month, another <laughs> year
0: or whatever. Like just keep exactly. it, keep, keep yourself alive. At some point it'll take off and you'll, you'll gain enough traction.
2: Did
1: you watch Steven pitch a Demo Day
2: YC? I, I don't know if I, cause I was probably like not in the audience. I honestly don't remember. <laughs> there were so many pitches. I, I, don't, I don't remember. And I was nervous as hell. Like that whole, like it's so nerve wracking. Like, yeah.
0: <laughs> I, I can tell you. So they have a, uh, they had the, They had the physical product demo area, right, at Demo Day for like any, because like some of the companies, a lot of the companies are
2: software, Okay, so it was separate, right? Yeah,
0: it was like off to the side. You guys were doing haircuts. You guys had the oh, barber yeah, yeah. We, that was we, doing haircuts outside and our couch was like set up next to it.
2: That wasn't like YC sanctioned. Like we just did that. Like that wasn't, <laughs> that wasn't part of the physical products. Like we just were like, yo, let's just do whatever we can to get some attention and get some people talking about us. So, yeah, we, we brought barbers to YC Demo Day just on our own and uh, had people booking haircuts. We had Justin Khan get a haircut on the app and then uh, he was streaming it, you know, uh, uh, on Facebook. Twitter or whatever he was using at the time, and uh, yeah, we'd want to do anything that would just get us some buzz and get people talking about us. That
0: demo room <laughs> was hilarious. It was like the most eclectic group of companies with physical products there. I think we had a good uh, we had a good batch.
2: I don't know all the companies, um, but like I know there's some some companies that are doing really well. I, you know, I, I, there's some cool people in our batch. I think. I
0: th- I always cracked up when we'd see each other at VC offices, like I remember going into Sequoia, or I was like coming out of Sequoia's office, Kabir and I are carrying a, our sofa and I see the Yoshi team with their <laughs> trucks and they do like gas, like remote, like they'll fill, they have like remote gas yeah. tanks that go and fill up cars. So they pull yeah. up and they're like, their truck with a gas tank on it. And they're like, oh, hey guys, we're like carrying our couch out. <laughs> you guys are bringing bars yeah. into the into demo day.
2: It was hilarious those are good times man there's so much riding on those however long it is a couple minutes whatever it is like if you fuck up during that like you are probably not gonna defend it like if you like seriously like it's, it's really like a make or break moment like crazy like how much so much can be riding on just like a couple minutes of your life you
0: know? i i remember for our pitch we had uh, a, a picture of uh, Ross from the show friends in that pivot scene where they're carrying the mm-hmm. couch up the stairs. And I, I delivered it. <laughs> it. was a joke in the middle of the pitch. And it was like, I refer to him like, like Ross from friends. And in the alumni demo day, so they have alumni demo day NYC for people who don't know where, uh, People who went through YC before can watch the pitches and then they get a chance to invest in companies. And then that's like your warm-up for the for the real one the next day, which is all the you know actual investors and whatnot, which is like investors from angels to the top institutional VCs, like you're pitching in front of like literally hundreds and hundreds of people. And on the alumni demo day, that joke killed. Everybody laughed. On actual demo day, I made the joke and I, I literally heard somebody in the front row go, Who's Ross? Is he on the team? And it was like, Oh my God, have none of you people watch the show friends." <laughs> I was That's like, hilarious. Oh man. Uh, yeah. But, and then, and then you have to keep going. You're right. You can't fuck up. I like delivered a joke. No one laughed. And it's like, Just
1: keep plowing on.
2: <laughs> just keep going. Just keep, yeah, you got to, man. Right. It worked out. It worked out.
1: So, two questions. One, what did you guys do when you closed this last round? Did you guys get on a Zoom call and cheers. You know, what you guys do after you closed this last round? Is this a big moment? I mean, for, to me, it'd be a huge moment, right? I mean, it's a lot, it's a very large yeah. sum of money. It's an opportunistic race. You said you got a handful of celebrities in the round. There's a, a lot to celebrate. What do you got? What did you guys do after you close the round?
2: You know, that's one of the kind of bittersweet things uh, of this remote environment is that like. In the times when traditionally you come together and really like rejoice, I mean, all you have is Zoom. You know, and it's, it's it's not the same. But we did we did toast some tequila. Uh, my co-founder Dave and I, we're both big uh, uh, advocates of of this tequila called classe Azul that we found out about at the same time about a year ago. We've, we've been just loving it. So uh, we both uh, cracked open some of that over Zoom and, and, and you know took some shots. It would have been much better in person. We, had it been in person, we would have hit the club, 100%. <laughs> <laughs> we would have just at the club uh, had things been normal. So this is the best we can do.
0: As always, would love to keep in touch more often.
2: But thank you so much for coming on the show. It's a good excuse. We're so overdue for like in-person drinks, man. When this when this shit is over, we got to make sure that happens and let's, let's get some class A, you know, somewhere in New York. Ha, make it a good time. All right. Class dismissed.
1: Thank you for... Listening, if you want to support this podcast, the best thing you can do is hit the subscribe button. Take a minute, hit the subscribe button so you'll be notified whenever we come out with a new episode.